Buenos Dias World from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for season three of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Real Life Pharmacology Podcast. Today I'm going to cover short-acting beta agonists. Short-acting beta agonists are incredibly powerful, uh, life-saving medication that can really help open up the airways in patients uh, who have a, a hard time breathing. And most often, the, the situations that I see these medications prescribed in, uh, asthma, of course, that's kind of a reactive airway disease where the um, airway kind of swells up and you create a uh, blockage, um, a, a reduced uh, airflow capacity. Uh, through the, the bronchioles and, and lungs and out uh, through the mouth, obviously, and mouth and nose. And the short-acting beta agonists work to stimulate beta-2 receptors in that airway, and this leads to kind of relaxation and, and opening of that smooth muscle. So, again, perfect for the use of, of asthma in an acute situation where we need to have a rescue inhaler. Uh, COPD is another classic example where we see these medications used um, in that short-term setting to, to open up that airway. Um, you will see it occasionally used for um, uh, people that have coughing spells, maybe pneumonia, uh, just kind of on a short-term basis as well. Now, the classic examples of short-acting beta agonists are albuterol, uh, Proventil, uh, Proair, Ventolin, probably Proair and Ventolin are the brand names I see used uh, most often. Uh, there's also Levelbuterol, which is uh, brand name Zopinex. One of the most important education points for patients is recognizing the differences between their inhalers. Often patients with COPD, with asthma, they'll have you know, two or three, potentially up to three or maybe even four um, different inhalers, kind of depending upon their medication regimen and, and how severe their disease state is. And the education, the teaching of what each of those inhalers does is super, super important. I've seen so many mistakes in my practice uh, as a clinical pharmacist where patients don't really understand you know, why they're on a medication, why they're taking it, and when to use it. So definitely, uh, that's a very, very uh, important piece of, of education and really the, the first step um, in educating our patients. Now, the next step with these devices is to ensure that patients are actually using it appropriately. Okay, so making sure that they're actually actuating the device inhaling the contents into their lungs, making sure that they're not breathing that those contents back out again so the drug can actually have an effect within the lungs, um, making sure that they're not using it as hairspray <laughs> and uh, kind of just blowing it around their face and not actually getting the, the drug to the lungs there. 
So there's lots of different mistakes with these uh, inhalers, and you, you have to um, remember to teach patients how to use these appropriately. And in certain situations, you may need spacers, and you may do different things like that. Um, one other nice thing about both of these products, albuterol and leave albuterol of the short-acting beta agonists, is that they do come in a nebulized form. So pediatrics is a great example where using that nebulizer uh, with that mask can help be sure that we get that drug actually to the patient. Uh, elderly patients are another classic example where uh, maybe cognitively, maybe physically, they really struggle with coordinating that movement, um, manipulating that actuator to get their dose uh, from a, a meter dose inhaler. So important to remember that if you've got a patient that's really a non-responder or they just don't seem to, to get a lot of benefit from their uh, short-acting beta agonist, you might want to uh, give a, a nebulizer a try that may help uh, determine whether they're um, doing it appropriately or whether they um, can do it appropriately if education uh, isn't effective. So as far as the uh, drugs go and, and potential interactions, adverse effects, um, it's important to remember that mechanism of action. So whenever I think of beta agonists, I think of the potential to amp patients up. So it can stimulate heart rate, it can cause some tremor, it can cause some anxiety, potentially insomnia. Uh, again, these side effects are pretty rare uh, with the inhaled beta agonist because we don't get a lot of systemic absorption through the lungs. Now, obviously, the more often you use these inhalers, um, or if you're using them with long-acting beta agonists or other drugs that have similar effects, we could potentially pile on and contribute to some uh, adverse effects that way. Uh, one great way that I kind of remember the pharmacology of beta agonists versus, versus beta blockers is just kind of lumping them together and recognizing that opposite things are, are going to happen. So the beta agonists, like we're talking about today, albuterol, uh, Zopinex, they can amp you up, like I mentioned. The beta blockers tend to settle you down. You know, rarely I've seen them used to help with anxiety. Um, more commonly in practice, they're going to be used to uh, lower heart rate and like atrial fibrillation and really kind of settle things down as far as blood pressure goes as well there. So it's a, kind of a yin-yang, a good way to remember uh, the beta blockers versus the beta agonists. Now, I also wanted to differentiate the receptors. So we got to remember beta 2 two lungs, and beta-1 is one heart. So beta-1 blockers typically um, are just going to act to slow down the heart. Beta-2 agonists, which we're talking about today, are going to relax that smooth muscle and help patients breathe better. So hopefully that gives you a little more background on the pharmacology and trying to um, remember these uh, agents and, and their mechanisms and, and what they do. Let's take a quick break here from our sponsor, and when we get back, I want to chat a little bit about guidelines and just some uh, some general principles as far as recognizing patients that may be a little bit out of control as far as their respiratory disease goes. MedEd101.com has a growing list of resources 
for pharmacy students, pharmacists, and other healthcare professionals. Uh, if you're looking for NAPLEX, BCPS, BCACP, uh, BCGP, all these different type of certification exams for pharmacists, go check out meded101.com slash store uh, to see everything they have there. Good um, source uh, for solid information uh, to really help you prepare and, and pass your certification exam. Let's talk a little bit about uncontrolled asthma and the rule of two. So this is a very important principle to remember if you're assessing patients and really checking to see how in control their asthma is. So what is the rule of two? So there's a few twos to remember uh, in assessing short-acting beta agonist use as well as uh, an asthma disease state. So first number two, use of rescue inhaler more than two times per week. So if you've got a patient that's using their albuterol inhaler more than twice per week, we're probably going to want to do some further assessment and make sure their asthma is under decent control. The next two to remember is nighttime symptoms. So if patients have nighttime symptoms of asthma where it's waking them up with difficulty breathing and asthma exacerbation, and that's happening more than two times per month, that may be a good indicator that asthma is out of control. Another indicator relating back to short-acting beta agonists is using two or more uh, albuterol canisters per year. Another good example there of a way to kind of assess how a patient is doing. And sometimes patients aren't real uh, upfront about how often they use their albuterol. So a great way to maybe assess this is to identify where they get their prescription medications filled and actually see how many of these albuterol uh, canisters or albuterol devices uh, that they're actually getting filled. I do want to remind you that albuterol is often found in combination medications. So a good example here is uh, Combivent Respimat, uh, Duoneb. Both of these medications have albuterol in it as well as Ipratropium a short-acting anticholinergic. So this is really important to teach patients uh, that albuterol is found in these agents and that they should not be doubling up on these medications. I've definitely seen patients report with uh, tremor, tachycardia, because they're using so much albuterol because they didn't realize that albuterol was in two different um, medications. So they were taking them really close to one each other on a very frequent basis um, in patients that, that have not been very well controlled. So definitely got to remind patients about that and or assess and ask if they actually have uh, some of those medications uh, at their home as well. One other pearl on use of albuterol and the short-acting beta agonists is we generally... Um, administer these medications first. Now, if we think about their pharmacokinetics, they've got a quick onset. They can open up that airway very quickly. And in patients who are, let's say, taking a 
combination long-acting beta agonist and inhaled uh, corticosteroid. So in that situation, we definitely would want to use that albuterol first to kind of open up that airway and then give it a little bit of time, a few minutes, five to ten minutes, maybe wait if possible. And then we'd want to do that controller type medication. Again, this is if they're being given at the same time. It allows that airway to kind of open up so that controller, the long-acting beta agonist and corticosteroid, can get deep down into the lungs and exert uh, its activity better versus an airway that's kind of closed up. You may not get a good deposit of that medication. So in patients that are taking both types of medications on a scheduled basis, which is rare, um, but they're taking them close to one another, usually it's preferred to do the short-acting beta agonist prior to uh, the longer acting or the controller type medication. I think that'll wrap up the podcast for today. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you love the show, share it with somebody. Uh, give it a good rating on iTunes and a review. Greatly, greatly appreciated. So many people have already done that, and I'm, I'm super thankful for that. It helps us get up the, the list on iTunes as well as a source of uh, credible and, and valuable information um, in your uh, preparation for real life as well as, well as trying to uh, help pass some of your pharmacology and, and board exams. So uh, reallifepharmacology.com, you can reach out to me there. Also have that free giveaway certainly as well. It's a top 200 drug study guide where I highlight really highly testable uh, pearls, 31-page PDF. So definitely take advantage of that and also get some updates on when we've got uh, new podcasts available. So we'll leave it at that. Take care. Thanks for listening, and have a great rest of your day. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.